Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random th- football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. It's another victory Monday. And the next time that we see the Iowa State Cyclones, they will be taking the field at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas at 11 a.m. to play for a Big 12 title. What's up, Jeff Woody? That is, uh, that's a good summary of the fact that uh, I think we can more colloquially put it, Iowa State whooped West Virginia's ass. I think mm-hmm. like, we can just call it, call it that. And now they're locked in to play for a freaking Big 12 title. They whooped West Virginia's ass from beginning to end. We didn't even ask for Neil Brown's ass. We got Neil Brown's ass. That was uh, – it, it, it felt similar to Kansas State a little bit. Uh, but this one was less – this one was more surprising that not necessarily that Iowa state held West Virginia offensively, like, you know, West Virginia, not scoring, you know, 30 points. Like that's not surprising. It's the fact that Iowa state hung 42 easily on one of statistically the best defenses in the conference. And if not the country, Mm -hmm. and it, it didn't look hard, you know, like that's the thing that was the most impressive is that Iowa state's offense just went and nothing really seemed difficult. Yeah, uh, West Virginia entered the the game uh, as the league's leader, I think, in most every defensive statistic, except maybe rushing uh, rushing defense. Uh, They were averaging, giving up uh, 4.4 yards per play, I think. Uh, And the Cyclones averaged... 7.2. Yeah, they averaged 7.2 yards per play. So almost twice what uh, West Virginia's average yards per play was uh, going into the game. Real quick before we get too far into this, got to give a quick shout-out to one of our Cyclophonetic Super Patrons. Today's CF Super Patron, uh, Super Patrons are Aaron and Andy Whitehead. Aaron and Andy met at Iowa State watching Seneca games, but they both grew up Cyclone fans. Andy's brother was Cy in the early 1990s. Aaron's first football game was the Streaker game, and she grew up obsessed with 90s ISU basketball. Shout out to the mayor, Fred Hoiberg. 15 years later, they now have three kids who are all little Cyclone Club members and miss very few Cyclone events. Here's what they told us about becoming Cyclone Fanatic Super Patrons. Quote, living in a small town very close to Iowa City, we are so thankful for Cyclone Fanatic to provide us with the quality sports coverage that can be hard to find in this part of the state. We especially enjoy the podcast. Cyclone fans are growing in eastern Iowa, but we are still outnumbered, so finding a community of crazy Cyclone fans has been awesome. Thanks to Aaron and Andy Whitehead for being Cyclone Fanatic Super Patrons. If you want to find out more about becoming a Cyclone Fanatic Super Patron, you can find that uh, on the homepage of CycloneFanatic.com. Uh, yeah, so that, I mean, from the very beginning of the game, uh, Iowa State was just able to, uh, just more or less dominate in every sense. I mean, they, you know, we had talked last week a lot about what, uh, Iowa State's defense does early in games where they kind of try to, to feel teams out and see what they want to do. That was not the case in this game. Uh, the Cyclones, I don't think they forced a three and out, but... Uh, yeah, they did. Did they? Mm-hmm. The, uh, I, have, I have West Virginia's drive chart compared to Iowa State's drive chart pulled up because I uh, do no, preparation, a, it, people. It was an eight-yard. It was eight-play drive. Eight plays, 43 yards. And then on the second drive. So they went uh, eight plays, punt, three plays, punt, 
field goal attempt after a 16 play drive that resulted in zero points. Uh, then three plays, negative seven yards, punt, and then fourth down stop, fourth down stop. That was uh, all of West Virginia's first six drives. Meanwhile, Iowa State went touchdown, 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 half, then came out with a couple sputtering drives, then went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown again. It was just, I don't know. There, Iowa State had more, or Brock Purdy had more, or as many touchdowns as incompletions. Yes. If you if you include his rushing touchdowns, he had more touchdowns than incompletions. He which, did. when you when your when your quarterback has that statistic, you had a a significant thumping of another team. So yeah, that was uh, I don't know. It was surprising, but fun to watch. Yeah, and I think a thing that really jumps out to me about that is the fact that you go eight plays or you run eight plays, you gain only forty three yards. Uh, that means that you're working hard for whatever those 43 yards, I would say, uh, didn't they have two, uh, quarterback sneak, two or three quarterback sneaks on that same drive, or was it on the 16 play drive? I think that was on the 16 play drive, but again, if you go 16, if you run 16 plays and only go gain 49 yards, then you're working pretty damn hard for those 49 yards. Yeah, that's. Not ideal. And, and I, so I went back and tried to re I rewatched the game once all the way through. And then once just kind of YouTube TV has you on, you know, it lets you go key plays mm -hmm. kind of just one big play at a time. I watched it through two different times and I kept trying to find, you know, like against Texas, there was a lot of little subplots of how uh, they had not necessarily had to, but how the strategy laid out, laid itself out and they, you know, chess matched against Texas and against Oklahoma and even against Baylor, um, they had to, they had to do this little chess match of how, how are you going to get what you need to get? Because there's certain things are not going to allow. And I was trying to find, cause when I was watching it live, I couldn't, I couldn't find the through line of like this, the strategical through, line. you know, like what, what were they doing? What did Iowa State do that caused West Virginia so many fits? And I couldn't find one other than the fact that both lines, offensive and defensive line, whooped the other one's ass. Iowa State's offensive line. I would say Sean Foster had his best game as a cyclone. And uh, Schweiker, the left guard, had a, a potentially one of his best games as a cyclone. And they, offensive line-wise, against one of the best defensive lines in the Big 12. I think you can even, despite the result, you can say that because the Stills brothers are good. They're, they are very good football players. But, like, Iowa State's offensive line, beat the hell out of the West Virginia defensive line and then vice versa with the, the scariest pass rush. You know, I, I would say them and OU have the, the scariest pass rush in the conference, you know, maybe lump Texas and they're maybe close, but I, I don't know between McDonald and Bailey. And then when you put in like the end of the first half and they knew, and then even in the middle of the third quarter, they, and, and West Virginia's in a must throw situation the three down linemen were Will McDonald and Jaquan Bailey on the outside, which whenever you have that two, that combination, they either have to hold and hope they get away with it or give up a sack. And then you put in someone in the middle. And because Isaiah Lee has been out for a couple weeks, they had uh, Josh Bailey and Latrell Bankston in there. But even in certain pass rush pass situations, they put any Awazarike at that nose tackles position. So you essentially have three defensive linemen or three defensive ends. One of which is a speed rusher with an absurd explosive get off. One of which is a power rusher um, in Jaquan Bailey, who has a rip that you, again, you either have to tackle him 
and hope to get away with holding or give up a sack. And then any Wazirike who has the longest arms and a stupid good bull rush. You have those three dudes as your pass rushers. You don't need to bring pressure. You just don't have to. And the, the Iowa state defensive line held their ground firmly against West Virginia's offense and Iowa state's offensive line. So like, yeah, I was trying to find what did they do special? What scheme did they have? Nothing. They had a screw you. We're better than you. That's what their scheme was. Yeah. And I think that that, so I have a quote here from Neil Brown that was after the game. Um, he said, this was in his opening statement. He said, uh, I would say, quote, or I would say extremely disappointing would be putting it mildly. They're really good. So I don't just want to discredit anything they did. They're really good. They're playing their best football of the year. They played very well last week and they carried that over. They were the more disciplined team. They were the more physical team. They dominated on both lines of scrimmage and it wasn't even close. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what jumped out to me is it's you had like, they have two guys in the Stills brothers who were probably both going to be all big 12 players. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was the thing that when you looked at what West Virginia people talked about coming into the game, their entire question is how well does Iowa state's offensive line handle the Stills brothers. I think that's the entire question. Every, every well. team, yeah, every team that plays them, it's like, how well do they do against the Stills brothers? That's what their their first question is. And there was never a moment in the game, ever, where I was like, man, these Stills brothers are just really kicking ass. Like, ever. I, there was a couple, you, you heard there was a couple plays. Yeah. There were a couple plays. And then, like, what they would follow that play with, you know, one of the Stills brothers would get a, a TFL, like a two-yard TFL. And then the next play, like Charlie Kolar catches a pass for 18 yards. And you're like, well, there goes that. Yeah. I mean, the perfect, uh, the perfect exemplification of how badly they kicked their ass is that they scored a touchdown on first and goal, had it called back, scored another touchdown on first and goal, had that one called back too, and then scored another touchdown two plays later. On first, <laughs> when it was first and goal from like the 18-yard line. It was, I think it was first and goal from the 26. Like okay. it was, yeah. it was in the, it, they were out of the red zone on first and goal. And it, <laughs> that was such a hard flex. That <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, you would text you. I think you sent me a text. It was like, that is the biggest flex on any team is when you score three touchdowns in the same drive. And one of them comes from off a of first and goal from the 25. Like that is such a hard flex. Yeah, that was such like a uh, a moment where you're if you're the other team, you're like, I yeah, I mean, I don't think I we guess can I'm do done. anything at this point. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, another example of that was when uh, when they handed it off to Kane and he went straight through the middle and he ran past like he made every other person on the field look like they were standing in mud. Uh, and so. I'm going to, for those that watch the channel five show on Saturdays um, that we have the uh game day, uh-huh. I'm going to be breaking down that specific play. Cause what's funny about that is like, when I was watching, it, I was like, damn, he's fast, which is still true. Like that's, that's very obviously true. But I was like, there's no way you can block 11 guys. That, and at someone would probably have been in the middle of the field. Cause it wasn't like it was even a, you know, a lot of times on, you know, untouched touchdowns, it's when it's like a cover zero blitz where everyone's way up at the line of scrimmage and they're, you know, one yard off, one yard off the ball. And once you break that line, it's just outrunning somebody, which Kane would do this one. 
the, the, the really fun part about this is I think that play of all of the plays during the game and even during the, the, the tight ends having the big play that they had on against Texas and Brock having such a good day today, it really demonstrates how scary this Iowa state offense is little teaser. And again, I'll break this play specifically down on the TV because it's really hard to do visual on a podcast. Brock Purdy is not the primary threat in most games because Brees Hall is the primary threat in those games. And we talked about it ad nauseum for like an hour on the Texas game, how that stresses your defense. Then when you add the fact that Brock is a capable runner and had already run for a touchdown by this point, he already had, I don't know, 35, 40 yards rushing in the game. Then they had a backup quote in Kinenuangu on the field. Iowa state didn't block four defenders in the linebacker and second level. So the, on the first level, Sean Foster Schweiger absolutely just mauled. I, I forget which stills brother is number 56, but just mauled 56 and just popped it. I mean, it hard. And once that happened, Kane runs right behind it and that gap should be occupied by someone. But the problem is Brock having already had a rushing touchdown on a similar looking play, hold the ball. And because he's so good now, because Brees Hall is such a threat and Kane is so experienced, he can ride whether he can, you know, normally it's balls gone. This one, it was balls gone where you can wait and hold on to it for so long. And they pull the tight end out in front of Brock, not in front of Kane. So they pull a tight end. They have the quarterback running to the left. Kane is running to the right. And because of the tight end pull and the quarterback who is a running threat, keeping the ball feel, I think number one is it fields, the, the guy leading tackle in the conference. So fields, uh, takes, just follows Brock. He doesn't, he, he is on the second level of defense. He should be responsible for that gap, but he just runs after Brock. The strong safety runs after Brock. Neither one of them is responsible for Brock Purdy, but they're so scared of Brock now running because he already ran for a touchdown twice. One of them got called back. He already ran for a touchdown. So they both went to Brock by that time, the offensive line had mauled the defensive line of West Virginia. And Kane has this, this parting because two of two members of second and third level are running towards Brock. The other two are running to where the offensive line is indicating and just leave this huge vacancy. And the fact that you have the fastest dude in the conference, just zipping up the field. The reason why that's so scary is tell me what you want to take away. If you're playing the Iowa state offense, what do you want to take away? Uh, let's take away Brees Hall. Cool. Charlie Kolar and D Dylan Sainer are going to catch for 200 yards. Like, oh, okay. Let's try and take away the tight ends. Brock Purdy runs for two touchdowns. Shoot, let's take away the quarterback run. Kanae Wangu zips for 70 yards. All right, fine. Let's load the box, make sure no one runs the ball. Sean Shaw catches a touchdown. Xavier Hutchinson catches a touchdown. Landon Akers catches a touchdown. Charlie Kolar still catches a mugs touchdown. There's, this offense is so balanced now that there's not one thing that you can neglect because they will kick your ass with it. If you think that, that Brock is not going to carry the ball with him, you're going to focus on the running back, he's going to run for two touchdowns. If you think that, all right, let's, let's, let's take care of the quarterback run, then they're going to throw the ball over the place, so they're going to give it to the running back. They, it, is, it is frightening how efficient they are now operating, which makes the offensive line's job super easy. Because when you're blocking a dude who knows where he needs to go, 
it's really hard because there's only one place he wants to go and he's going to find 10 different workarounds to get to that one place he wants to go. But when you have a defensive lineman that doesn't know where he's supposed to be, you can throw him out of the bar because he can't find another way to a place. He doesn't know where he's going. That's what the, the way that this Iowa state offense has been just clicking even against Texas since the second half of the Baylor game, it is frightening. And I think going into Oklahoma against another offense that is frightening with a defense that is playing physical. These are the two, the, the two best teams in the conference by a good distance now. And each of them is playing really good football. I am very excited to watch two teams in their stride playing against each other for a conference title. It's exactly what the big 12 wanted when they got this round robin set up. We get the chess match that we've been waiting for. Haycock versus Riley part two. I'm, I can't wait. This is, I can't wait. This is wonderful. Uh, but no, the thing that I, I think I like the most on that run by Kane is that even after he got the ball, one of the biggest differences from earlier in his career to now is he got the ball and you saw him kind of get maybe two yards right behind the offensive line. And he gives kind of like a doot, 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 like where he's like taking little shorter strides and seeing where the hole's going to develop. And then the second that the hole develops, he's, boom, he's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's where in the past he was, you could see where like, he knew where the hole was supposed to be, but he's so fast that he wouldn't wait for the hole to develop, you know? Yep. And it's He'd what made it hard it to know whether or not he would ever be able to be a guy that could be, you know, uh, an inside the tackles runner, I think in my mind where it was like, I think that he can, like, I think he's a good ball carrier, but he just runs into people's backs because he's so fast that he just takes off running and like, and he just tries to like, run over his own offensive lineman. And now you see where he will kind of get up to the line and he'll do what Brees does where he waits for it to develop to develop. And then he just squirts right through, you know, and the difference mm-hmm. between him and Brees as fast as Brees is when Kanae Nwangu squirts right through, like good luck. Gone. I don't know. See ya. Gone. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's what I'm saying. The moment that I was like, Oh boy, like, West Virginia I knew that West Virginia was just demoralized defensively was watching those guys try and chase him down and him just sprinting away probably from the fastest guys on West Virginia's defense and they get into the end zone and two West Virginia defenders just looked at each other and like neither one of them moved their arms or anything they're just like and then just walked back to like line up for the extra point it was (laughs) it was where the two of them probably like in their minds are like what in the world was that? <laughs> <laughs> that was incredibly fast. Uh, that was not what I expected. Yeah. And e- even then it's, it's just like with, when Charlie caught the touchdown, the defensive back, like you never saw him argue. He never did anything. Charlie caught the ball and he just was like, yeah, what can you do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Guess it was a touchdown. Yeah, it's just like that was what was I think that they were so demoralized by about midway through the third quarter that it, I mean, Iowa State had gotten so far into their heads that it wasn't even funny, you know. And the, the I mean, brother that you were talking what you were mentioning before was Darius. Darius was the preseason all big their preseason defensive player of the year in the Big 12. And they just I, I Sean Foster and, and Schweiger just threw him out of the club. I mean, just it was a, as good of an execution of a double team as you could possibly imagine because on a double team, it's two guys versus one. And so when you kind of 
the, like pussyfoot around a double to a double team where you're really, you know, soft stepping, you want to just make sure it stays together. You allow that person, that defensive player kind of some strength because you're not putting a hundred percent of your effort in there because you don't want to miss. But when you totally trust your buddy and you know exactly where it's going to be, like say one thing about Sean Foster and what you, you know, say anything you want about Sean Foster, but what you can't say is that that dude doesn't come with a hundred percent of his energy into every block, whether he gets it or not, he is going to bring a freaking sledgehammer to that block. And when, now that you've got trust developed between him and whoever he's going against Schweiger got him held up just for a second. And then Foster came with all 315 pounds of him and just collided Schweiger in or collided stills into Schweiger so he could take him already having momentum gone that way. And then Schweiger just strong arms him across and Foster climbs up to a linebacker and then just gets enough of the linebacker that can, can zip by him. Like it, it is again, it's just, it, it's execution. Cause if you are Darius stills, right. What are you going to do? Okay. So you're going to try and hold your gap that you, that's the only thing you can do. You just have to try and hope that you're playing fundamentally sound enough that you hold your gap. Okay, let's say you do that and you don't actually, you know, get bon- bounced across and Brock Purdy keeps it. The combo is going to co- go off to your right side, the offensive left side, and c- get up to the linebacker. All of a sudden it's out the gate and Brock has 15 yards. Or you play, you, you try and jump across your block to try and make the play to get, you know, show your face in front of Brock Purdy, who may have the ball. And Kane gets it, or you try and climb over the guard to where the running back's going to be, and Brock takes it. There is no good way that you can defend that because there are so many options. And even still, let's say they don't run it at all, and you just hold your gap in a a nice. You're not trying to get up the field because you're just trying to occupy space. The old Ray Lima technique, where you're just trying to, I mean, you just sit where you are. Then Brock just stands back there for 13 seconds until he finds somebody open. There's, there is not one thing that you, it, the Iowa State offense is so balanced that it now keeps, it keeps you significantly off guard that you don't really have an option of what to do because there is no good option. That's, the, that's what's fun about Iowa State when they are able to operate on schedule like they did against Kansas State, like they did against West Virginia in the second half of Baylor. There, there's nothing you can do to take away any one thing to make anything else carry the load. I think we just need to give Brock some props, and we have to an extent, but like, and we've talked about it. Since the second half of that Baylor game, this is the best Brock has ever played, I think. Yep. I mean, th- that boy dealing, he's dealing back there. How often, do you, how often have we seen him make a bad decision since then? Has he made one? Uh, no, I, I mean, possibly. I'm, I'm sure there's one that we've just kind of neglected, like maybe throwing one a little short or whatever, yeah. but it's the mistakes are they're B minus mistakes. You know, they're not F mistakes where if you're making a mistake, the worst case outcome, like the, the I think there's, there's a play that I remember that I was like, man, that is a perfect throw. And it was an incompletion. It was in the Texas game. Uh, I think it was right before Asali missed the first half game, like the end of the first half field mm-hmm. goal. Um, he ran Xavier Hutchinson ran kind of an, I think it was like an out and up and uh, it was, he was kind of streaking about two yards off the left sideline and it was a cover one. So the corner's running underneath him, the safety's coming over the top. So you have a really fine line where you can actually get the ball in. It's before the safety comes over before the corner gets back. 
and Brock threw it exactly to the one spot where it's either going to be Xavier Hutchinson makes a diving, oh my God, kind of touchdown play, or it lands on the orange turf. That's it. Those are the only two possible options. If he throws it farther, Hutchinson doesn't have a chance. If he throws it shorter, either one of the two guys that's closing on that one can actually take the ball. Also, if he throws it, if he just tries to get rid of it, potentially they call an intentional grounding or, or maybe he tries to get too much on it. There's a sack that happens. It's on time to a location that's safe. And like it was an incompletion, but it set up a field goal attempt with time left or nothing. It, it was, those are the kinds of plays that he's making now where even in incompletions, they're in the right spot. And again, I, I use this comparison on most things it's Baker and Brock are the two guys that are the most similar to each other in the conference in the past few years, because can run, but don't love to, they don't, I mean, they don't need to, they run when they have to, uh, but really accurate and a strong enough arm to deliver an accurate ball down the field when on time. And when those guys have a team around them and they can take that accuracy and that good decision-making and apply it to playmakers, Shoot, man, just get it to number eight and let him do stuff with it. Get it to 88 and let him do stuff with it. Chase Allen tripled his yards after catch on one of the receptions. <laughs> on one today. reception. On, on one reception drive. on Saturday. So you just get – when he's able to distribute, you get what you get in the past few – you know, the past few weeks, that it is as good of quarterback play as Iowa State has seen since when? I mean, Seneca? Seneca Meyer? Maybe? Yeah. At, mm-hmm. yeah. Probably Seneca. Uh, but I think that's where, too, we got to give a shout-out to those wide receivers because, mm-hmm. we, I mean, we've challenged those guys on this podcast. I mean, that was one of the big topics of conversation after that game against Oklahoma State. Those guys have showed up. You know, Sean Shaw has played some really good football here over the last several weeks. The, the one that, I, that sticks out in my mind was the throw – that Brock made to the field side on the opposite sideline from the press box. So on the East sideline to Sean Shaw, mm-hmm. where he threw it like the, this, it was Kyle Kemp was really good at throwing that ball. Like that was one of the one throws, like the few throws that Kyle <laughs> Kemp like could perfectly execute more often than not. And then he, that his receiving core was really good at making those plays. Like that's like what Matt Eaton caught touchdown against t- TCU, like those kinds of things. And the throw that Brock made and the catch that Sean Shaw made on the sideline were, it was perfect. Like it, it, I don't mm-hmm. think it could have been, that might've been on the drive when they scored three touchdowns in one, in one first and goal series. Uh, but the defensive back like ran into the end zone, like past Sean Shaw with just how well the ball was thrown and how good of a catch and stop that Sean Shaw made to go up and catch the ball. It was perfect. Yeah, And that's and what you're seeing. The, the other one is the throw that he made after r- rolling all the way back around to his left to Xavier Hutchinson uh, as Hutchinson was going out of bounds. Uh, mm-hmm. in and, the second and he actually half. snagged it. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. like a, a toe drag swag kind of thing. Um, the, the thing that is nice now is uh, Shaw is coming into what he, what he has strengths in, you know, he's not trying to be like Xavier Hutchinson is Xavier Hutchinson. He's a run after catch guy. He's, he, he's going to catch contested balls, but he's, he is more explosive than he is possession. Shaw, I think early in the season wanted to be that Hakeem Butler that explosive, like I'm going to down the field, just huck it up to, you know, I'm going to go make these like, like stupid, crazy contested catches. But what his, his game is more like a, uh, a Brandon Marshall kind of play where it's 
run after catch is there if run after catch is there, but it's, you can throw the ball anywhere within six yards of where he's standing because his positioning like a box out, his positioning is going to be good enough that he goes to snag the ball. Probably not a ton of run after catch opportunity because it's going to be a lot of contested stuff that his length and his size just puts him in a position that like Charlie does. Charlie just, he, sometimes he gets run after catch because he's in a good, you know, rhythm play where he's behind the linebackers. But a lot of times Charlie catches the ball and is tackled pretty immediately because he just puts himself good route, get a defender on your back, use your long arms to get to that open space. And Shaw has finally kind of developed and accepted that like, this is where your strength is. Once you kind of lean into that strength, then you have a, then you've, you've carved yourself a role in the offense that yeah, you, you, you can get those dirty yards, you know, you need seven, it's third and three, you need seven and you got a bodied up corner. That's five eleven. Yeah. Throw it up and outside and Shaw's going to go get it. Like that's that, that is what's partially, you know, that type of thing is, has one enabled the running game to be successful and two has been enabled by the running game that there's no reason to double cover Sean Shaw, but because you're single covering Sean Shaw, now there is really good opportunities because no one matches up size wise with Sean Shaw. So it's, it's a balanced offense. It's predicated on Brees being a freak and Brock making good decisions. And then everything else just flows from there. And speaking of Brees being a freak legitimately still don't understand how we got out of, got out of that mess to score a touchdown. No idea. There was four West Virginia players somewhere around at or unblocked at his feet at the point when he kind of popped out and the, the corner was like, all right, I probably don't need to keep playing because there are four of my teammates that have him ready to be dead to rights. And all of a sudden he pops out and he's like, Oh, and had to turn around and try and double time. And you're not going to run, run him down. Like I still don't understand how he got out of that, but he did. That was David Montgomery esque right there. Very, but uh, that he managed I, to house it. Cause yeah, little, little, David might not have scored a touchdown. David might not have scored a touchdown on it, but uh, he he would have at least gotten out of there and gained you know fifteen more yards. Brees yeah. got a little bit more get out and go uh, when it comes to those kinds of scenarios. But hey, did, did you see David's run uh, last week against the Packers? Busted yeah. out there for fifty eight. I saw it and I was like, look at he's running, he's running, he's he's getting away, he's getting away. Oh, he got to run down. That was one yard away from being David's longest run since he was a high school senior. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so close. Uh, that is super pot meat kettle because I don't think anyone has ever watched my game and been like, you know what that Woody guy has? Top end speed. I don't know. I've 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 been to the jungle. I've watched the highlights hit elite jay jay jordan I, I me and him were talking about it one day he's like man jeff's highlight tape is elite he told me that so that That's, was a, uh, that was elite elite speed in that video i was uh, about a 200 210 pounds that's could still could still get up and get up get up and go i i i, I joke i still feel like i had i had line i had really fast linebacker speed relatively slow running back speed like that's, that's where my total top end speed, like it was rested. functional speed, functional speed. That's all it was. It's functional speed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the other play that Brock made that I don't think you see him make earlier in his career and just shows how comfortable he is right now. The throw that he made to Brees, uh, when Brees leaked out, uh, and then went on a fourth down. 
yeah, on a fourth down and, and took it and scored a touchdown. Uh, I mean, Brock didn't panic. That The pocket had basically completely collapsed around him, and he just flipped it right out there as running back. And, like, and Brees had basically walked into the end zone for the last 20 yards and just stared mm-hmm. at the defenders as he did it. It was just like, it was like, yeah, good luck, fellas. I don't know. Uh, the That was cool because, one, <laughs> I thought that was – I mean, Campbell is, is as a stand-up of a guy as you could possibly imagine. And you, you normally will see um, things like a punt or a field goal or maybe going for it just to get two or three yards on a fourth down. And that probably wasn't the, wasn't the plan to score a you know, 40-yard touchdown or whatever it was. But when you're going for it on fourth down up by four scores – that is uh that wasn't necessarily a middle finger, but that was let's get out of this game and get our starters on the bench because we don't need to waste an injury on you, West Virginia. You you are not worth our health. I don't believe that Mr. Campbell was overly thrilled with the decision to kick a field goal that West Virginia made inside of the thirty five yard line down thirty five to nothing. Hey, one score at a time, man. One point at a time. And only think, uh, 11 more field goals would have only 11 more field goals would have brought him in. In my mind, that's a thing where uh, there's a couple different ways to look at it. One, yes. You know, if you're a coach, you're like, Hey, we're down here. We might as well put on the points on the board, but I can see it from the other side where it's like, it's almost like an unwritten rule of baseball. Like we don't know the unwritten rules of baseball, you know, like mm-hmm. no one knows them until all of a sudden you're told that this is one of the unwritten rules of baseball. Like you don't swing at a three Oh pitch. You don't hit a grand slam on three Oh, you know, like who knew that who ever had heard that before until some, someone does it. And they're like, yeah, this is one of the unwritten rules. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. I can see where an unwritten rule of football is if you're down 35 to zero and you have a fourth and manageable, you go for it regardless of where you are on the field, because it's like, it's game. It's like, you know, they're kicking our ass. We're not going to be able to win the game. Like, what's the point of just kicking a field goal for the sake of kicking a field goal? If I was Matt Campbell, I'd be like, oh, you're just going to ruin our shutout like that? All right, fine. We're going to score another touchdown on you then, jackass. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that that was what it seemed like to me. And then in, uh, I, I really think that it was the, the – I wonder, uh, you know, his – I think his rule is perhaps a – like a, a five score lead in the fourth quarter is when f- four or five scores and depending on game situation against Kansas, it wasn't that big, but um, it's Kansas. So whatever, but generally speaking, it seems like he won't put his, uh, it won't, won't put the, the backups in until you're up by at least 35 in the fourth quarter because, or it gets late enough that like you're up by four scores. There's only enough time for two drives left and there's no chance he's going to come back. So like, that seems like the borderline rule where like, Hey, even 32 points is four touchdown and two point conversions. Weird things can happen. Who knows? And it was sort of like, we're going, you're, you're going to bring it from 35 to 32. So you can do four touchdowns. You're going to bring it to a four score game. Oh, you want a four score game. All right. Let's, let's get rid of that attitude. Cause we're going to make sure that we don't have you. Yeah. You want to, you want to cut into this league. We want our subs in. We want Brees Hall and Brock Purdy to be safe for the big 12 championship. And you're going to bring, you're just going to break this rule for the sake of breaking the rule. Cause you want a field goal. That's I think more like the, uh, come on, man. We just want to get our starters out of here. You want to get your starters out of here. What's the point in this field goal? 
Right. It was just like a, it was, it's one of those things where you sit there as a coach and you're like, why, like, why are you doing that? What's the point? You know? And, and it, I like to think of it as I like to think of the big 12 much more in WWE type terms where Matt Campbell in his mind is like, I'm going to kick your ass now for doing that. You know, not just like, I want to just get my starters out. And there's like a very, no, it's, it's, I, he wants to destroy <laughs> Yeah, because that's what Matt Campbell does is makes emotional decisions. He's very much a, uh, an impulse-driven person, as you can definitely tell by his demeanor, his actions over the last five years, and him having been confirmed to take every job in college football over the past three seasons. Well, it's just Sources like, confirmed. It's, well, I think that the best example of the difference between me and Matt Campbell is when Iowa State was up 28-0 to zero and they didn't review a spot on a third on a third and short that would have been a first that that was a first down i'm telling you that was a first down and they missed spot the ball they messed that up they made that that was a wrong call early in the game and iowa state went on to punt and i was like why did they not review that and you texted me back and you're like dude it doesn't matter we're up 28 to (laughs) zero the half yard that is the difference between whether or not we punt once or uh you know, have to kick him the ball back. Like it doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah. It's the, the game gets over the same speed. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah, for sure. Uh, All right. You want to talk about the defense at all? I mean, what more, what you got anything else you want to uh, It's, it's when you watch this defense at its best, it is boring. It is boring to watch from a sense that, they're not going to be, you know, McDonald and Bailey are going to get sacks and that's fun. That's definitely fun. But there's not like the, you're not going to get this huge, like catch hit all the time. I young every once in a while, thumps somebody, but everyone's most of the time will thump somebody, whether it's a blocker or, or a ball carrier, but like they don't have the, you know, the Joseph Osai kind of rip around four dudes and do a backflip and, and, you know, get a, get a whatever, or like a diving one hit interception. Like those things are byproducts and, and every once in a while happen. But like when Iowa state's defense is clicking, it is a one yard run followed by an incomplete pass followed by a good coverage with a quarterback scramble for three yards and a punt. Nothing really sexy occurs but just because there's nowhere else to go with the ball, there's no, nothing that you really can do. And every once in a while, there is a big opportunity where like you get a seam ball for 20 yards or Daytron young bites on something where that he shouldn't. And you get a ball completed behind him. But like when done really well, it's not that there, there's nothing sexy about it. It's just good, sound, fundamental football that dares you to execute better than they do. And no one, no one has to this point. Uh, other than, well, I wouldn't say Oklahoma state, Iowa state's offense was just kind of poor. I don't really think any team outside of Louisiana has really executed that well against Iowa state. And even then there was two special teams touchdowns. So it's just been a consistent unit all the way through the the entire, the the entire season. That was just, we're going to do what we do better than you do what you do. Good luck. For sure. All right, let's dive more into Oklahoma next week. We'll uh, we'll save that so that we have something to talk about on next week's podcast. That's it, uh, that also is good because we have uh, Oklahoma versus West Virginia, which I'd imagine is going to go similar to Iowa State West Virginia because yeah. they're good, but where West Virginia is good, Oklahoma is better. Like the defensive line for West Virginia is good; it's one of their strengths. But the offensive line with Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma is strong. Where 
West Virginia is strong and it can match strength to strength. And there isn't really much that West Virginia is probably going to be able to do. Yeah. And they'll, um, uh, yeah, I just, I think that Iowa state and Oklahoma are head and shoulders above like the tier goes like Iowa state and Oklahoma are up here. Then Texas is here a little bit below. And then like West Virginia, probably Oklahoma state TCU, like at this point in the season are like a little ways further down below that. And then there's like everybody else, you know, it's just like, but I think that the top two are well above most everybody else at this point in the league. Yeah. And, and Texas, yeah, Texas is just a stone's throw away from them. But I think the way that both Oklahoma and Iowa state executed against Texas and the rest of the league, um, there really isn't much at the end of this season. When you look back at all the statistics and all the games, I don't think there's any question that these two teams deserve to be in the big 12 championship. And I'm, I'm really pumped because it, and yeah, we'll get more into Oklahoma next week, but I watched the Baylor Oklahoma game and Baylor was slowing down Oklahoma significantly on defense, doing things that Iowa state did to them. And, you know, Oklahoma on this big, this winning streak that they've had, people have been like, man, this offense is, you know, doing great and great, great. It's like, now they played pretty average defenses across this uh, other than the four overtimes against Texas. They really haven't played anybody in this Mm -hmm. sequence that's really worth anything until Baylor with Dave Aranda. And they finally like had to do something against Oklahoma's Baylor's Baylor's defense. And I think Spencer, the Iowa or Oklahoma in the entire first half of the Baylor game had like 92 yards or something like that of total offense. And what they did is they looked at what John Haycock did in the first game, which this is the first team that's really been able to apply this principle. So they looked at what John Haycock did in the first game and said, all right, Spencer Rattler, his confidence is a great strength, but also one of his biggest weaknesses. It's that he thinks he can make every throw at any point throughout any game and that his read that he has before the snap is correct. Those two things that his confidence, again, confidence or cockiness, depending on what your perception of him is, it's the same two sides of the same coin, that his confidence or cockiness is a strength and a weakness. And what Baylor did is they used that weakness against him as they stopped the running game and more or less stopped the running game and forced Rattler to make throws. And in those making throws, they put stress on him and they flipped the pre and post snap reads, just like what Iowa state did against him. And it worked. So what I was sort of not necessarily fearful of, but like as a question, the thing that I was going to go back and hope like maybe if I can get like highlights or, or whatever, just watch the previous Oklahoma games. Like why was Iowa state able to more or less hold Oklahoma in check enough to win? Why were they able to hold Oklahoma in check? And why was why has no one else done that? Why has no one else taken that playbook or have they? And Oklahoma is just able to overcome that thing. If they've been able to overcome the thing that Iowa State did, Iowa State's going to have to come up with something completely different. Well, Baylor has really been the first team that's done that. They've been the first team that's done, that's using Rattler's confidence against him and they pretty much shut him down. And they had, I mean, Charlie Brewer, was playing with like a fifth string running back, like a, a one tight end that's compl- that's healthy on the roster, and like three of their five offensive linemen still in the game, and was still managing to do something. And if there was any type of potential offense that he had, that game potentially goes differently. But I think the the moral of this little diatribe is 
Oklahoma still has the same flaws, still has the same chink in the arm, that same Achilles heel that they had when Iowa State played Oklahoma in the first part. They just have more pieces around it. Their defense has their pass rushers back. They have their big running back back. They have more shiny bells and whistles, but the same, the same Achilles heel is still present. It's, and Iowa State knows how to work that Achilles heel but Oklahoma knows Iowa state knows how to work that Achilles heel. And that's where the chess match comes in. And that's what we can talk about next week. But Baylor showed that Oklahoma is still the same team. They're better, but they're still the same team that Iowa state beat in the first half of the season by what they did with Dave Aranda and the defense. So that's the, that's the big cat and mouse. That's the thing that I'm the most interested to see what happens definitely all right everybody thanks for uh tuning in to another episode of football on random things we will uh have a full breakdown of the big 12 championship game next week on uh when we are when we're back here on the cycling flag podcast network talk to you guys again soon